Hey everyone, I hope you are enjoying your summer break as much as I am. I went on to a radio program last month and I thought it would be a nice segment to post here as some bonus content. I went on the Dory Monson show, which was being guest hosted by Greg Tomlin on Cairo News in Seattle. It's a kind of a conservative, semi-political show. And I talked about depolarization about this podcast and about what I've learned and what we can do to heal the divide. Those of you who have listened to every episode of this show, this will probably be nothing new, but it's a pretty nice introduction to the kind of work that we've been doing here and my thought process over the last year or so. So here it is. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to the show. Greg Tomlin filling in today on this July 3rd. It's no secret we do live in a very polarized, divided nation right now. Rasmussen, a recent poll showed that 59% of likely U.S. voters think America has become more divided since Election Day. And back in November, Gallup ran a poll that says there's a record high of Americans that perceive the nation as divided at 77%. And anyone who's on social media, anyone who peruses the internet uh, is well aware of this and has dealt in some contentious conversations of their own, including myself. So what do we do about it? We've diagnosed the problem. We know what the disease is. What is the cure? Well, one man who felt called to get involved in this American crisis is Dan Koch, Dan Koch hosts a wildly popular podcast called Depolarize. Imagine that. You know what you're getting right when you click on the podcast. It's up on iTunes now. And Dan, how long have you been a host of Depolarize? Uh, Wildly popular is a very kind way of saying moderately popular. You've got a Uh, listenership. I've seen the numbers. uh, Yeah, it's fine. Thousands per episode is not bad in the podcast universe. It's not bad. Um, So we started it. Uh, in September or October, we just wrapped up 41 official episodes of the show. It's basically weekly. And what was your goal? What was your intent when you set out with the Depolarized podcast? Were, were you trying to be a peacemaker, a reconciler? Were you trying to find out something about yourself? Uh, were you trying to bring people together or a little bit of all of the above? A little mix, but the overriding thing. So I'm I'm a center left person. I've moved more towards the center as I've done this show. I was more toward the left around election time, mm-hmm. and I initially started it full disclosure to stop Donald Trump from becoming <laughs> president in whatever way I could. Uh-huh. Uh, I also went to Nevada to Reno and campaigned for Hillary for a weekend, which I would never have done right. for really any other political candidate, much less Hillary Clinton, who I didn't even like as a candidate. Uh, but I was at the time I was petrified of a president, Donald Trump. I was I was terrified. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of that terror has subsided since. But at the time, that's what it was about. Although I knew that I thought Hillary would win. I, I wanted to tell myself I did something. I didn't do nothing and stood and stand by and do nothing. But once she wins, there's still going to be this problem of polarization. This is how I was okay. thinking at the time sure. in like October or whatever, how naive. But I was right about the polarization, of course. I don't I don't even know if his election made it worse. 
I think Clinton's winning could have also made it worse. I, I, totally I actually, agree. yeah, I don't think that whoever won that election would have had much effect on our overall polarization. So that's why I started it. But I, I also did have this sense of like, hey, this is, you know, this stuff is hard. It probably goes much deeper than I realize, and it's going to be a problem for a long time to come. Well, one thing I respect about you is you're well aware of your biases and your motivated reasoning, but that's something that I respect. You come right out and say, look, I lean center left, and I I had an agenda at election time, um, and that has sort of changed ever since the election of Donald Trump because I think you and a lot of people uh, of your political persuasion have realized we're either going to hunker down in our tribalism and our self-justification for what we believe even more, or we're going to make an attempt to somehow warm to the other side in any way we can, if anything, not to end up believing what they believe, but just to be able to get along on a very fundamental level. So 41 episodes of Depolarized so far, and I'm a fan, I have to say. You've featured political guests, uh, social scientists, commentators, pundits, any areas of encouragement for you or discouragement after 41 episodes of trying to build some kind of reconciliatory tone with those on the other side? Uh, have you seen progress amidst your groups of friends, of your listeners, of going, you know, I've just inched us two degrees in a direction of coming together? Or do you think it's gotten even worse despite your best efforts? Yeah, man. Um, so I, uh, I'm a person who who likes Jesus of Nazareth, and a couple oh, who, things. Who's this? Who's this Jesus? <laughs> a couple <laughs> sayings of his uh, keep coming back to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them, the main one is the road is narrow that leads to life, and the road is wide that leads to destruction. Mm-hmm. I was raised to believe that that verse or that saying is about salvation, but it might be. But I think it's also about like everything in human existence. And so there was a time after Trump won where people were sort of stunned and they were like, oh my gosh, those of us on the left cannot conceive of how people voted for him. And people on the right were like, could not conceive that people would vote for Hillary. They just could not figure it out. This Mm -hmm. was not Bush Gore. I mean, it was like people were just losing their minds. And so there was a lot of excitement about hey, let's learn. Let's figure this out. And I think that, frankly, that has waned. Fatigue has set in because I think the road is narrow that leads to, for instance, depolarization. And I don't, I'm not like a martyr or anything. Mm -hmm. I just mean, in order to really do it well, you have to be willing to check your assumptions. So like there was this Huffington Post article that was going around, I don't know, a couple weeks ago called I don't have time or I don't know how to teach you to care about people. <laughs> it was just this insanely stupid op-ed from the left. Uh-huh. And this journalist or whatever, this contributor, she basically said, if you don't think people should have health care, I don't know. I'm done with you. Like, I I can't. We're, we disagree so fundamentally that I'm I'm done. I think that's the absolute worst possible way to go about this. I think there's a very strong temptation, though especially after, let's say, six months of of political bickering since the inauguration Mm -hmm. uh, and just people fatigued at not being able to understand the other side, slipping into old habits. I have been slipping into old habits. It's really hard to do this work. So I think that there have been people who have benefited from the show. I sure hope so. 
I have benefited from doing it. But I've also seen a lot of my friends, I think, slip back into old tribal mentalities on right and left. Do you know what I think the secret is? You have it? Yeah, I do, actually. (laughs) I can't wait. And it's implicit in what you just spoke about right there. And that is, if we really want any shot at returning to a time in this country, if it ever existed in the first place, of people from different sides of the spectrum coming together and reasoning together. As Look, you mentioned JC before, Jesus Christ yeah, of Nazareth. JC. The book of Isaiah, there's a famous verse, come let us reason together. Mm. And if we want to get to a time where we start doing that, the change starts from within. Yeah. It doesn't start by lecturing and pointing the finger at others as if they are the source of the problem. The biggest transformations in my life have come when I stopped worrying about other people's motivations, stopped worrying about other people's actions, and started to go, wait, what I hate most in other people, I exude and outpour just as much from myself. And the only times I've really been a healer in my life is when I led with a posture of, it's me that's the problem. <laughs> and, right. and I've started to see radical change in those closest to me when I have led with, it's my fault first, now can we work together on this? That is a radical idea, and it's not our default setting of our heart. It is something yeah. I constantly have to remind myself with, and I fall back into old habits. And you know who hit on this recently is Arthur Brooks. He's uh, head of the AEI, the American Enterprise Institute. He recently gave a TED Talk. Uh, a few weeks ago, he was at uh, some sort of lecture uh, series, and there was a Q&A portion of the event. And he talked about our country not having an anger problem, but a contempt problem. And yeah. l- listen to the way he phrases this. Honestly, I think this is the viral video of the year. It's been viewed almost 10 million times on Facebook and just as many views on other social media platforms. Listen to what Arthur Brooks says here. We don't have an anger problem in American politics. We have a contempt problem in American politics. Contempt is defined by social psychologists as the utter conviction of the worthlessness of another human being. If you listen to people talk to each other in political life today, they talk to each other with pure contempt. When somebody around you treats you with contempt, you never quite forget it. So if we want to solve the problem in polarization today, we have to solve the contempt problem. I sometimes write with the Dalai Lama. I was thinking about this contempt problem. I said, your holiness, what do I do when I feel contempt? And he said, practice warm-heartedness. And I started thinking about it, and it's true. When I do that, when we do that, when we have leaders who can do that, it's utterly world-changing. Catch yourself. You can show true strength if next time you hear contempt, you answer with warm-heartedness. Every single one of us is gonna have an opportunity on social media or in person to answer somebody's contempt. Are you gonna do it the right thing? and make the world a little bit better and show your strength and make your enemies your friends? Or are you gonna make the problem worse? That's a question each of us gets to answer probably in the next 24 hours. That is a one minute video. So profound in so many ways and I wanna dissect it a little bit. He diagnoses the problem, we have a contempt issue in America, but you know what he says to the Dalai Lama? He says, your holiness, what can I do when I feel contempt? Yeah. Not, hey, Dalai Lama, I see we have a contempt problem in America. What can all these other people do? I'm not the source of it. He looks within and says, what do I do? And the, the second profound point is the Dalai Lama says, practice warm-heartedness. The key word there is practice. Yeah. It's not feel. Isn't that interesting? It is. Uh, because 
the Dalai Lama recognizes very well that we might not feel warm-heartedness towards someone that we disagree with on a very fundamental level about principles regarding politics and religion. But one thing you can do, in spite of your disagreement, is practice being warm-hearted. And eventually you practice something enough, you change the habits of your heart to where you actually begin feeling what you practice. Right. Your comments. Well, so... You know, a lot of this is ancient, right? I mean, uh, Aristotelian logic has these rules that are designed to help us in these situations, to reason together. You know, when you're ad hominem, you're attacking someone's character. That's a bad argument. Red herring. We're we're familiar with these terms. Those those are classic ways of making sure they, they hem us in. They hem in our ego. They sort of force us to find out uh, you know, not to straw man another person, right? So you don't take the worst version of their argument. You get the best version of their argument, and then you have to, that forces you to consider it. But there's also new science that we have that sort of fills out a bit of why this happens that we can utilize, right? So we know now about motivated reasoning, as you said, or mm-hmm. confirmation bias, right? So we, we can scientifically show that human beings do this. I have motivated reasoning. I am more likely to believe something that I already agree with than something I disagree with. It's shown. Mm-hmm. It's been proven. So what do I do with that? <laughs> I, let's let's say let's take for instance that piece of information that someone tells me. Well, I don't. I am. I don't think that's true. Those scientists must have must have some agenda, <laughs> right? Yeah. I I mean it's it's true. You have to start inside, and the only way to not start inside is to ignore the science. So this op-ed contributor who says, I'm done with these people. I can't teach them how to care about other people. She is ignoring science. Now, I think if I told it to her that way, she'd be like, I'm not, no, I'm not. They're ignoring science. They're ignoring that livable wage is good for the tax structure, you know, whatever. But she's ignoring cognitive science about her own self. And she's doing a lot of self-rationalizing and justifying of her own point of view in the process. She's just spurting out how liberals feel today. And that's fine. Like, I guess there's maybe some help. I don't think that should be public. I think you should do that in your own journal, probably. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, acknowledge those feelings, but don't stop at those feelings. Look, to give the listeners a very practical application of what we're talking about here, uh, because a lot of this is an abstraction. It's just talking about ideas. But I think there's a couple things that everyone, including you and I, can put into practice that will will click us in that two degrees of the right direction as far as healing our nation goes. One is recognizing we are all biased. Yeah, um, we all are products of our upbringing, of our social setting, of or our privilege or lack thereof. And I know privilege is a very loaded term, and sure, but it, it's real. It's a real thing. Um, how it manifests itself is different with everybody. Recognizing that. Not everyone shares the exact same experiences you have or have had in the past. That is a major breakthrough. It sounds pretty simple and basic, but just recognizing that is step one. Step two is trying to find something on the other side that you can respect or admire and be able to articulate that to the other side. Just as a way of going, here's an olive branch. I will even do this right now. I, I am a conservative, but I will admit that the left has a very large vested interest in helping maintain and be good stewards of our environment. Sometimes I think they go too far. Sure. But what I like about the left and respect is that I believe they have a deep care for our environment. 
And even just telling someone that on the other side puts down their defenses immediately because they'll be able to see that you recognize something they care about deeply and then they subconsciously might extend another olive branch to you. Yeah. Can I take a turn? Go ahead. Okay. As someone on the left for the right, I was just talking about this with a buddy yesterday. You know, I was watching uh, The Last Picture Show, the Bogdanovich film, and it's it's memorializing and critiquing like 1950s America in, in some senses. And it made me think about conservatives and liberals on these old sort of mid-century values. You know, a conservative might think like, hey, it's not bad that you could have a safe neighborhood, that the kid can take the car out and not have to worry about getting mugged or getting carjacked, that we could go to the dance, the sock hop, and that we can meet at the soda fountain afterward. Mm-hmm. Like these, and sometimes the left will go, that never existed. Everybody was cheating on each other. Everybody was drinking Everyone all the time. Everyone was racist. Everybody was racist, right? That they, they will say that wasn't available to people. We shouldn't go back to those times. I, I think, no, I think it's worth saying that version of the American dream is kind of beautiful. Like I would love to have kids raised in a society where they are free to roam and have these sort of basic comforts and security, right? Towns and cultures that know each other, that have familiarity rather than needing a nanny state or something like that. But what the left could say, what I will say is, no, you know what? That is good. Now, it wasn't available to everybody. Rather than saying, that was all crap, yeah. that's a lie, yep. it, that's a nostalgia for a past that never happened. Well, maybe it never, it, no, you know, nothing was Pleasantville exactly, but... Right. But it did happen some, and can we seek that out for everyone? Can we make that available to, in the 50s, you know, for instance, in Seattle, a black person couldn't own property north of the UW Viaduct. Mm -hmm. That's unjust. They couldn't have that. They couldn't live in Magnolia. And at the same time, coexisting in that time period, there were also some really beautiful parts of culture. We don't have to always throw out the baby with the bathwater. Of course, yes. As in most of human history, there are moments where... There's a mixed bag going on, okay? Yep. And we need to be able to discern what is good, what is true, what is beautiful, what is worth preserving, and what is worth throwing out. But we cannot approach those topics with absolute certainty right. and the absolute conviction of our principles without wanting to be swayed even the slightest. And the reason that we, that we are tempted to be so absolute is because of our identity, our tribal identity. And so that's what the guy was talking about on the video and the Dalai Lama was talking about. You have to, in your own heart and mind, be willing to shed your own group identity. If you can't do that, then you cannot meet the other person. You can hold an identity, but you have to hold it lightly. I wouldn't say, yeah, I wouldn't say rid yourself of the identity, but to, to be able to break down the barrier a little bit to see a different identity that might not be yours that has been formed over decades and decades to where you're receptive to a different identity and what they're saying and what they're trying to tell you. Well, you were talking earlier about one of the first things you said was, let's talk to the other side, not necessarily even to agree with them. And I think you actually have to be open to having your mind changed to some degree. Most of my friends are liberals. If I'm speaking to one of them, about this kind of thing, I would say, you know, if we got if we got into it, I would say, you know, you're going home to grandma and grandpa's for the whatever birthday party or something, and you know it's going to get weird, politics is going to come up. 
ask them what they really care about and why and be willing to be convinced by some of that. You're and not going to agree on everything. Yeah. And don't do it as just an exercise. Really care what yeah, they think right. As uh, with an attempt to understand and empathize with a different point of view. Yeah. It's easier said than done. Well, and if we've learned anything from social science and social psychology in the last 150 years, it's that we are such a product of our environment. You know, why do you not want your kids to hang out with the burnout kids? Because they are statistically very likely to turn into those kids <laughs> if they spend time with them. So your grandma and grandpa, they grew up in a different time and place. If you grew up in that time and place, statistically, you would believe what they believe. Right. And Absolutely. that is really hard to wrap your mind around. Especially for people on the left, because they always use this argument. Again, this is a generalization. And I recognize it right away. But they say, oh, we don't want to be on the wrong side of history because we look back and go, look at some of these backwards ideas right. in the 1950s. But what they're neglecting to realize is that if they had been around in the 1950s, they probably would have believed that too. And then here's something that'll blow your mind. What do we believe as a society now that 50 years from now will look completely backwards yeah, and insane? There's no way to really know. No. So you have to approach these very complex issues with humility and with patience, understanding, boy, I really hold this conviction now, but it could look completely crazy to yeah. my grandkids right well, now. And, there, and there's, a, there's also a corresponding right to left move where conservatives will say, oh man, look at these college kids and look at these Bernie supporters. They just want a free ride. They don't want to put the work in. They are undisciplined and lazy. But, you know, if, if you had been born in 1992 and college was going to cost you $150,000 instead of $5,000 like it did when you went to college, you know, like it's you have to do it both ways. It yeah. goes both ways. You have to be willing to say, if I was in that person's exact, born into that family in that time and place, 90% chance I would believe what they believe. Yep. The road is narrow, Greg. It It is only a small percentage of people right. who are willing to do the work to break out of whatever they are likely to end up believing and being like given their surroundings. And that's a great place to leave it. Dan Koch, he's the host of Depolarize. You can find it on iTunes. Really appreciated this discussion. There's a lot more to be said. We only scratched the surface <laughs> in this some 20 minutes that we had together. Yeah. But really appreciate you doing what you do. Look, we... Uh, showed how it was done today. You lean to the left, I lean to the right, and I feel like we had a really fruitful, uh, uplifting discussion here. Thanks for coming in, Dan. Thanks for having me, Greg. We'll be right back. 